Welcome to the Bad Tutors Podcast. If you're here for the newest up-to-date and accurate information about the nerdy topics that are near and dear to your heart, well, let me tell you, you ended up in the wrong place. Here we are all about the hottest takes in the most grandiose displays of misinformation. So stick along for the ride and you might just blow a blood vessel or two. So today, we're going to be doing an episode that has been a long time coming, in my opinion. Uh, And this is all of the lore of the Predator series, and by extension, Alien in the Ridley Scott universe. This is something that I dove very hard into when I had a lot of downtime at work when I first started my new job, and watching simply far too many videos and think pieces about all of the world and the stories held within it. I'll probably go on to cover some things of like how they interconnect, and we'll talk about that a bit in this episode, but it's a bit hairy, so I'm not going to go super deep into it. So overall, I'm just going to be talking about Predator, or Yauchua, as I will now be referring to them as, because it really fears, feels weird going around and saying, I love Predator, out of context. So <laughs> today... I'm going to be teaching Tyler about some of the major concepts surrounding the Yauchua and the basics of how they look, the kind of culture they have, and at least one or two of the interesting crossovers they've had throughout the years. Uh, For instance, like when Batman got into a fight with a Yauchua. I I picked that one specifically for you, knowing that you're a Batman fan. I am a Batman fan. So part of this lore is interesting because... To my knowledge, at least, it wasn't driven by, like, books or any traditional media adaptations, but it came out of two toy lines by the companies NECA and Kenner. I won't be really talking about this relationship, but that is where, like, a good deal of the information comes from, of, like, the little blurbs on the back of the different action figures. A lot of information comes from those, which is, you know, just, like, an interesting dynamic. I haven't really encountered or I haven't personally looked into a different IP that, like, is very based on toy lines, so I thought it was worth mentioning. Gotcha. So, we're going to start off with the stuff that everyone knows. Why they look like that. From the movies and comics and additional things, we know that the Yauchua are a race of bipedal humanoids. They are notably distinct with four taloned mandibles that extend from their mouth and... They are not only used for combat, as, you know, a big spike can be pretty good for chomping, but the communication that they use is involved with, like, the distinctive sets of clicking that we know is, like, the the predator sound. That comes from the clicking of their mandibles together. Their second thing is the long hair-like appendages known as the dreadlocks that they have. Now, these are not actually hair that we would think of in the traditional sense, but they're actually a sensory organ that provides a sense of balance and helps with the reflexes of the outro. And they are also used for mating rituals, as was seen by a character I will talk about a bit later, Michiko Noguchi. Um... I didn't really dive into that because, you know, I don't really want to know about their mating rituals. That They mate, and that's, on, man, that's all that's I want to know. That's all I want to know. That's all you want to know? Well, I can all pull I up the wiki. They... <laughs> I'll, I'll go find some more information for you on the next episode. Uh, on average, they stand like seven to eight feet tall. and So they're like big, chunky boys. They're, as we've seen, like 
the most famous, I'd say, known Predator thing is just the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. And, like, he's massive compared to Arnold Schwarzenegger in his prime, who is a massive dude. So, like, they're all pretty big. I don't know if Arnold's really that tall. He might not be that just tall, but he's ripped. Beefy, in, the yeah. Predator was a lot beefier than him as well. Okay, okay. So they mature around 50 to 60 years old. This would be equivalent to like an 18 or 19-year-old human. And it's not entirely clear who raises the young, but it is thought that the more distinguished and skilled male Yautua will be a lot more involved in rearing of the young to ensure they grow up to be strong and skilled hunters. But there is a very heavy emphasis on matriarchal society as well. There is like a rank within their culture that is the matriarch that has pretty much as much power as like the other male clan leaders. So it's not like very heavily favored to one side or the other. Now, they are known to be able to take very high amounts of physical damage and continue to operate at just like a standard level, at least by terms of our conventional weaponry, where they're shown to take multiple gunshots from high caliber weapons and just walk it off as though nothing has happened, needing no medical attention to like carry on fighting. They're also very highly resistant to radiation, bacteria, and viruses, and are incredibly strong being known to land blows hard enough to shatter concrete just on their own without any weapons or enhancement or anything like that we of course see them tearing human skulls attached to spinal columns straight from the body after killing them which i'm not the biggest anatomist but i know that that's not easy to do it's not easy to just completely sever a spinal column from the rest of the body you know uh yeah yeah that's it you know, I imagine it's similar to, like, squeezing a hot dog or, like, a sausage out of the casing. Mm. Yeah, I can see that. That that makes a degree of sense, I'd say. Just, like, a little squeeze at the base and it pops right out. Yeah. Or, that, but I guess it's more of a pulling. More of a pulling. That's, I mean, if anything, that just makes it more impressive. You're just taking two fingers and plucking it out of the casing whole. That's pretty strong. Yeah. And with that, you would assume things as they are incredibly fast and known to jump and climb at extremely high heights and speeds that are absolutely just unachievable to any human. This is, of course, due to the musculature that they have developed over time being a hunter race on an alien planet. They are also known to survive extreme temperatures and exposures, whether hot or cold, but they very heavily gravitate towards a hot climate, as we see in a number of movies and comics. There is one comic line set in New York City that is having a record heat wave going on, which in turn draws in a Yauchua hunter, as well as there are obviously some other factors that play into that, but that was like a big part of it there's like a whole invasion of them and the heat wave attributed this to this as well so the last two things that i want to talk about when it comes to what makes the yauchua a yauchua is their blood and their vision we have seen in the movies and things that when harmed they have a luminescent phosphor green blood this blood not only partially neutralizes the acidic properties of the xenomorph who are 
the aliens through the alien series because i'm going to be saying that a lot more throughout this episode and i feel like xenomorph is pretty well known but i just wanted to clarify that just in case yeah for Uh, sure as xenomorphs are one of the main adversaries that are very integral to the yaucha way of life but it is also shown to give them an ex- extended lifespan as compared to a human. As I said, they mature around 50 to 60. They're known to live hundreds of years. And they are also cold-blooded to a degree, which is, you know, hence the preference to hot climates. But they also have a thermal netting built into all of their armor as well to help maintain all of that. So they can continue to survive in these more extreme climates on top of how well they can already ex- survive in these climates so for their vision it was shown in the original movie that they have like a degree of thermal vision this however is not based on the mask that they wear that's just how they see in general i'm not entirely sure if i would call that like a misconception mostly because i don't know how much the average person that doesn't have hours to sink into this level of lore, even really thinks about Predator outside of, man, that's that thing that kill real good. But I just wanted to mention that as well. Uh, they just see that way in general, not it is aided by the mask. They can like scan through different thermal registries and things like that. As well as the mask helps them filter out ambient heat from the environment to give them clearer vision. So that is everything about their just, like, basic biology and what makes a Yauchua a Yauchua that we see in our current depictions of them. You know, I think it'd be really cool if they just wore night vision goggles. Just because night vision goggles are super sick. Just like the traditional big bulky ones? Yeah, just like four or five lenses. Yeah. You know, that drop down from, like, a fast helmet. I completely agree. Not only would that be very funny to look at, but that would be great. I would love to see just one Predator with, like, the big Coke bottle glasses, but it's night vision instead. That's his mask. That'd be fucking great. I'd love to see it. So now I'll move on to some of the history of the Yauchua species. There are a few different theories of where they came on based on, like, the extended AVP in the normal Predator universe, but I'm going to go off of the one that I believe is the main one. I'll get into a little bit more of how that ties in at the end of the episode, because, like I said, it's a little bit murky, but I'll start with this one. You and your conspiracy theories, dude. I'm really into them. (laughs) Well, this one isn't a conspiracy theory. It's based off of Ridley Scott specifically and how he wanted to portray his universe. Because Ridley Scott is the director for, I believe, Predator, but also like all of the alien movies and Prometheus, those kind of things. And like they used to all tie together, but they might not anymore based off of Uh, the movies he's put out. Yeah, because of how many like crossovers or like different storylines have been, I understand. Yeah, exactly. So the race that predated the Yauchua were known as the Hishkiten, Q10, or simply the Hish is how they are referred to. They are believed to be natives to Yauchua Prime, which is the homeworld of the Yauchua. Crazy naming structure, I know. They really took a page out of Games Workshop's book, but. 
they looked basically the same, though they were a bit shorter and overall a lot more primitive to the Yautrua that we know. Yautrua Prime was at one point victim to a planetary invasion by a race known as the Amengi. They were like these creepy insecty boys kind of real they a fun fact the amengi is what the first rendition of the predator was supposed to look like before they revised it into the one that we know from the current first movie but that was adopted into this lore is that is what enslaved them at the beginning so they enslaved the hish using them for food labor experimentation and entertainment mostly through blood sport and hunting as that's what the hish were already kind of doing on their own, being a primitive race. And believe it or not, this enslavement was incredibly brutal, as one would expect of, you know, in- enslavement. That's, uh, I feel like, pretty common. Yeah, yeah uh, I don't think you have to really call enslavement brutal. I think it's uh, bundled into the term. Yeah, exactly. So eventually this led to a slave revolt by a hish known as Kale. He was unusually large for a hish and a lot stronger than a lot of the other ones. So, obviously, a primitive race overthrowing a much more technologically advanced one is pretty difficult, you would think. That's, like, not going to go well for a lot of them. But it turns out that through this enslavement and just their general advancements the amengi had grown very complacent and just lived in lives of luxury and kind of were just ah they're not going to do anything we're so much more powerful than them what could they ever do against us to overthrow us so it obviously wasn't like an easily fought battle by any means but since one of the main things they used them for in entertainment was blood sport and hunting. They kind of made the Hish incredibly strong and skilled at combat by default. So a slave rebellion actually went very well, and almost all of the Amengi were killed by Kale and his group of rebels, although not all of them were. And in turn, the Hish turned around and enslaved the remaining Amengi for what they had done to them. Um, And they actually, it is said that they still use the Amengi. They have become just kind of like loyal followers. I don't know what the like relationship between if they're still enslaved or just like, we kind of work for you now. Like, I don't know what that relationship is, but a lot of the technology that we see the Yauchua have is believed to still possibly be created and adopted to the Yauchua from the Amengi, in certain cases at least. Okay, so it's like a generational Stockholm Syndrome thing, where it's like eventually they were held so long and they just became complacent in their enslavement and now are just like accepting of the fact that they're enslaved? Possibly. There isn't really a lot of information on it. That would be my kind of guess towards it, though, of how it works, certainly. But there isn't, like, anything hard and fast. The All of the lore surrounding this, there isn't... It's not like, oh, it's super loose. 
but it's not like okay this happened then this happened and that caused this it's just all of the lore around predator and the yauchua are very story based and story driven and we're just kind of getting spoon-fed information throughout that i would say okay gotcha yeah so it is also said of kale that the one of the corpses of the Amengi that he killed, he turned and fashioned into his own personal suit of armor for it. And this is what is believed to lead to the beginning of the Yautua traditions that we see today of taking trophies from kills, creating armor and weapons from your fallen kills, things like that. And it is also, of course, with that believed that through all of this, this is now where we see the culture that the Yauchua have, the kind of very proud, honorable, hunting, tribal society, though very advanced, that came from this rebellion and based on what they did when they were enslaved is like kind of carried over as their lineage and their history and they just do it of their own accord now instead. So as I just kind of briefly outlined there with their history, um, and as I just said, the Yauchua are a primarily hunting culture, no, though it is not for food, as we would think of, of like a traditional hunter-gather society. They are still very technologically advanced. They have interstellar travel, all of, all of the things that you would think of for like, what is it, a tier three civilization, I believe? Harvest all their energy, sure, whatever. Sure. That's, yeah, that's, that's too much into science in this sci-fi. Um... They use hunting for sport and as a show of strength and skill, showing their prowess throughout their hunts and hunting higher and harder prey, basically. They also adhere to a very strong code of honor in these practices as well. Now, while they are not hard and fast rules, like on every ship there isn't, here's the Ten Commandments that we fucking follow, it's just all like, generationally very accepted things that you don't do in their society otherwise you'll be killed or exiled things like that those who break these tenants and get away are then known as bad bloods and are completely exiled from Yautua society they are not allowed to engage in anything that they normally have going on they have to go fight on their own and survive on their own but obviously no longer by the rules of the standard Yauchua society. So to get into that code a little bit more, the first rule is that you must only fight what is considered a worthy opponent, those who can defend themselves and has a capability of killing the hunter. So things like don't kill children, don't kill the elderly, and specifically those who are linked to another life as to doom the other life. So don't kill pregnant women is like very important to them. You should only be fighting something that can kill you. Don't just kill for the sake of killing. Is there like that's like the basic core tenant. But of course, exceptions can be made to this as an elderly person that takes up arms and attacks the predator first. That's fine. They're putting up a good fight. You are then allowed to do that. But in general, pregnant creatures, just don't kill them. Because that would be viewed as, like, killing off a possible next hunt, basically, right? Sure, sure. Next, it is more honorable to kill a prey 
when the odds are equal. It is seen as a better kill if a Yaochu were to, were to use as little technology as possible in their kills, for instance. So if you're fighting, say, during the olden days, they go back in, like in the newest movie, they're fighting, like, Native Americans and things. They're not going to be bringing out their plasma casters in, like, crazy high technology. They're going to use melee weapons or, like, maybe simple throwing weapons. So they're not just rolling in and going, bop, ah, you're dead, good kill, guys, we fucking did it. Like, there's no honor in that at all. If... A prey is to call for the use of hand-to-hand -hand combat, then a Yautrua should, of course, in turn limit use of any ranged weapons as much as possible to give the prey an even playing field. If a Yautrua were, were to fail in their hunt, the most honorable thing to do is to take its own life rather than to live in the state of having a failed hunt. Now, this suicide can either be performed by the failing member themselves, or if they are incapable of doing so, another member of their hunting party. We can see this in the first Predator movie, where Arnold is able to best the Predator, and he blows himself up. This is seen both as following the Code of Honor, you should kill yourself if you fail in your hunt, but also there is a part of it that is to say that a Yautrua should not leave their technology around for others to find. There's, like, a couple stories that involve, like, going in retrieval of predator technology and, like, hiding their existence to other races as well. So there's, like, a little bit of both there, but it's mostly just if you fail the hunt, you shouldn't continue living. That's the big part of it. Next, the stealing of a kill of another warrior follows much of the same trend here. The example given is if two Yauchua are on a hunt to kill a Xenomorph, the one and one of the hunters is mortally wounded while also mortally wounding the Xenomorph, and the second one just kind of scoots on over and bops it real quick and kills it, and then claims the kill solely as his own, this is viewed as incredibly dishonorable and will lead to either the standard exile or death of this as well. Now, to my understanding, this would not apply to a fight where both of them were involved, like if they were both fighting it and mortally wounded it, but one of them were to die, it would not be dishonorable to then take that kill. It might be slightly dishonorable to say oh i did it it was only me he didn't do anything but in general i believe that would be fine but that isn't like super explicitly stated anywhere following that the murder of another yauchua by a yauchua is i mean i keep saying it pretty much break the rules exile or death that's that's right, like this yeah. whole code of honor uh, just so I don't have to keep saying it. I'll say it if something is different. But other than that, assume if you break these rules, you are no longer allowed to engage in society or you are killed. That's going forward. There's only a couple more left, but in general, that's what it is. The exception with murdering another of your own species is if the two were to agree upon a duel beforehand. If they agree upon a duel and one of them dies, that is fine. It was an agreed-upon consensual thing that they both wanted to engage in. Uh, there is also a different, like, part of that where 
one could concede, but then you are pretty much honor-bound to, like, give them a trophy. If you have a better piece of technology than them or something, a better tool for the hunt, you would hand that over to them as, like, a possible other way out of it. But in general, that could be just a fight to the death. Now kind of on that same line, those who are to defeat a Yautrua in a fair hunt or the victors of a deadlier hunt are considered to be equal to them and must be shown the apt respect and not just, like, no revenge killing of things. If a human can fell a predator, they are not something to go back and be hunted. They are an equally skilled hunter, and that should be considered respectful and paid attention to and we will see a few examples of this later when i go on to talk about some notable hunts in a couple of the yaujua as well as i said earlier never harm the innocent that just shouldn't happen if something can't fight back it is not worthy prey don't kill it uh and if a yaujua is to hunt for food they should only kill the weak of a species as to save a powerful foe for a real hunt in a real test of skill. So if you're going out, this is the most basic example I can think of, but say for whatever reason they wanted to take down a, a big mighty buffalo that seemed to be a very big issue, they would kill one of the younger ones or one of the old weaker ones if they were to look for food because you should save your real hunts for actual hunts, not just survival. Okay. If one is to come upon a wounded game injured by another hunter, the Yauchua should kill it to show respect for the hunter's kill. And if the game still fights back afterwards, like if it's pretty injured and you know that the original hunter has died or just simply has left for whatever reason, you can then fight it and kill it. And that is then considered to be a joint kill. Now, to me, this contrasts with stealing a kill, but I think it really comes down to whether or not the second hunter is claiming that they did it on their own. I think if they go, hey, this was injured, I believe by this person, and I simply finished it, and it is now both of our kills, I think that's the distinction. But again, it's not like super clear-cut necessarily. I think the distinction can be made uh, similar to like, when you're playing an online shooter or something and someone calls for a 1v1 or like a knife fight in Valorant, you know, mm -hmm. there's just no dogpiling. Exactly, yeah. All right, only a couple more of these. They got a pretty decent code of honor, as you can clearly see. Joining in on another hunt or hunting in another's territory is forbidden unless you are given express permission by the appropriate owner or hunter. If you just are cruising by and see another Yauchua hunting, you should not go and just join them unless they have already told you, hey, I need help, or hey, here's some good hunting, fucking come get a piece, something like that. When you are in a duel with an enemy, you must reveal yourself before the kill. This is seen as an honorable sign of respect, as you can tell, most of their customs are built around honor and respect. But to me, it is... A little strange as it is stated on the wiki how it's like worded as it says that you must reveal yourself in the climax of a fight which to me is a little 
pointless to be like, ah, I'm about to land the killing blow. Ah, see what killed you? Like, I get it if that's like, like if that's what they do, that's fine. I get it, but like, it's like it seems a little weird to just like, ah, right at the end, here I am. By the way, it's the villain's monologue. It's mm, you know true. It's it's the ego, and uh, I can see that for the purpose of like the cinemas, uh, it's important for them to hold that um, mm-hmm. as as. If done correctly, as sort of uh, spooky as a predator movie could be, where you just never see the predator and they just like fucking murk everybody, and then that's the end of the movie. True. Um, I don't think that's like the purpose of the movies. That is very fair. That's a good point. I agree. And finally, the last part of their code of honor is that certain weapons are considered to be weapons of warfare and should not be used in hunts as they are seen to be either too destructive or too powerful to make an honorable kill. Obviously, being a very advanced spacefaring race, they have more than the weapons that I'm going to go into. The weapons that I will cover are weapons of the hunt. They don't really even, like, talk about what higher-level weapons they have, but, like, their wrist bomb, like, levels cities. So like, yeah, yeah. So I assume like, they have some like really powerful shit that is like, hey, if we're in a war, absolutely decimate. But otherwise, that's not what we're about, you know. Yeah, and that I think that is also like uh, good for like that era of mystery where it's like, um, are you familiar with Jax from League of Legends? Vaguely, not like all of his lore and stuff. Okay, I'm familiar with him as a character. Right, so he fights with a lamp post, like mm-hmm. that he has torn out of the ground, and one of his taunts is, "Imagine if I had a real weapon." It seems like mm. that's what there's, like, it's like that similar vein of like, I don't need the best to kill you because Ex- I am the yeah. best. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, my skill on its own accord is what makes me powerful, not the thing that I use. Yeah, it's a skill diff. Yeah, mm-hmm. that makes a lot of sense. So next, after all of the code of honor and ethics that they abide by, we're going to get into a good old class system. As we know from the SCP episode, I love outlining a good class system. Before you go and, into that, I just want to mm-hmm. pop in here. It just sounds like the the Predators or the uh, Yautua are just absolute gamers. They're egotistical. Uh, they love a good 1v1. And uh, they're just skill-issuing everybody. They just like styling on them and stuff i honestly couldn't agree more yeah that sounds i hadn't thought of it that way but like that's incredibly accurate you're right it's good to see the repressed gamer class uh represented in uh popular media it really is it's it's nice to see us portrayed in a good light for once yeah for sure so getting into their class system a little bit, uh, we start off with the unblooded and the young bloods. These are the earliest in a Yauchua's life, as you would assume. Unblooded is someone that hasn't even completed their like basic training of sorts. And a young blood is the next step up who has completed their basic training, but hasn't done either the blooding ritual or the rite of passage to be considered a full hunter and an adult in Yautua culture. So, like, there isn't, like, 
like in our society where like technically at 18 you are an adult that's how it works when in Yauchua society is once you have completed this task you are now considered to no longer be a child now you are an adult the next step up would be a blooded Yauchua who has completed one of the previous rituals and is therefore then acknowledged in society as like a full member basically going up from that we have the elites this is more advanced than the blooded hunter having to go through a more dangerous trial or more dangerous trials to be recognized as such they often specialize in one specific weapon they'll go through a trial or a specific hunt to like only using their combi stick which is like their like extendable spear and they're then you known to be like extra proficient in the spear and it is known to everyone that will be their main weapon that they hunt with oh yeah i was just gonna say even more gamers they have a main yeah yeah exactly (laughs) they they are definitely known to have a main maybe not all of them but like that is fairly common from what i understand of you specialize in one weapon and have a main weapon that you would fight with yeah going on from that we have a leader And this is a senior Yauchua who has either been selected or volunteered to train new unblooded hunters or oversee blooding rituals. So the elders are often clan leaders, but they are those who have successfully killed multiple xenomorph queens. I believe it is three three solo xenomorph queen kills to be considered an elder in Yauchua society. The ancients is the next step up from that. Uh, They are, of course, as the name implies, very old, but are also incredibly strong. This is like following the idea of fear the old in a profession where most die young type of thing of if you make it to this age, clearly you've completed a lot of hunts. You're very, very skilled and you're not to be fucked with. They maintain order within Yauchua society by creating new laws and ensuring that any bad blood Yauchua are hunted down to, like, preserve the sanctity of everything that they hold true and they hold dear. Now, they rarely join hunts, but at this point, outside of, like, extremely dangerous scenarios, like, if there is a multiple xenomorph queen hive that's, like, really fucking up a planet they're not calling in the bloodeds and the elites they're calling in the ancients they're calling in the guys that fucking know what they're doing and they're gonna really go in there and get it fucking done the next one is a matriarch this is basically equivalent to a clan leader but a female yachua obviously being the matriarch and they are given a very high level the same if not more respect within Yauchua society at that point. Like I said, there is not, like, a weird sexism of, like, only males can be hunters or something like that. There are certainly female hunters as well. We don't see them as much throughout, like, definitely not throughout the movies, but there are, like, multiple comic lines that have female predators that are, like, out there and fucking shit up real hard, for sure, still. So there is definitely a very strong matriarchal part of their society as well. The final one that I'll mention that isn't, are they are outside 
of Yautrua society, technically, is the Bad Bloods, as I have mentioned, who have broken the Code of Honor and have been subsequently exiled from Yautrua society and will more than likely at some point be hunted down by the Enforcers as sent out by the Ancients. So the next thing, uh, do you have anything on the class system? I feel like most of those are, like, pretty basic. Yeah, I mean, it's just, uh, you know, your classic... That's your classic like, great gamer structure right there. Yeah, elders are like diamond, and then, you know, ancients are challenger or, or whatever. And, and matriarchs are your discord kittens. Ugh, God. Deserving of the highest respect. Exactly. Oh God. I don't... Uh, gross. Moving on from that <laughs> comment, I don't know why I made that one. That was... Ugh, gross. Um... We'll move on to how they become an adult. I mentioned the two rituals. Wait, does that make does that make the bad blood Discord mods? No, that would make clan leaders Discord mods. No, 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 no. I mean, I see what you're saying. Discord mods, not actual moderators. Discord. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, they'd be Discord mods. Okay. This analogy is taking a very interesting direction, I'll tell you I'm going to keep it going through this whole episode every time please I see do. something. I hate it, but certainly please do. It's an interesting take on this, for sure. So, the two rituals that they go through are either... So, I'm not actually incredibly sure. I feel like um, the blooding ritual is the one that we see in like all of the movies in things... My belief and stance on this is that the two are interchangeable, but one of them is specifically for those Yauchua that are currently living on Yauchua Prime, because there is a specific creature that they hunt that is native only to that planet. So I I take that to assume that if one isn't close to their home planet, you would do the blooding ritual, which I, of course, will talk about in a minute. But that's what I think the distinction is. There is not a clear line between them at all. But both of them achieve the same purpose of becoming an adult throughout Yautua society. The first one is the rite of passage. This is the one that is taking place on Yautua Prime. Uh, they're the most dangerous creature outside of the Yautua themselves is known as a Quatsaw Ridge. It is a multi-limbed creature that is highly lethal, and it's just this big, monstrous, imposing thing, and it is the first kill for a group of young bloods. These normally these hunts normally occur, occur in a group of like three to five for a first hunt. And all of them are overseen by a clan leader or elder as they will just kind of like watch over them and make sure everything goes correctly. Not to the point of like they will stop the young hunters from being killed, but more of a like make sure everything is done honorably. No one is like stealing a kill, something like that. They're just making sure it goes as according to their society. If all three of them die, all three of them die. They weren't skilled enough to become an adult, gotcha. basically. Uh, the other use of the Quatsaw Ridge is that, as I said, the elite hunters, uh, they will go out and fell one on their own. This is the like kind of next rite of passage towards this. Uh, you'll go out with minimal equipment and kill one completely on your own, of your own accord, and that will possibly promote you to like an elite status. I'll, 
uh, in and of itself because of how dangerous that hunt is. Also, uh, the elder that oversees the hunt wears a mask of the Quetzal Ridge as well. It has that like classic three dots on its forehead, which is like the targeting system that we see right, from yeah. Predator. That's where that comes from. That is from the Quetzal Ridge. It has that like burned into its like, or not probably just grows into its head that way. And that is where we get that iconography from. So my guess on like the vagueness of this hunt is that over time there was like an idea of, oh, this is the way they do things. But as we've now had multiple movies, games, comic lines and stuff like that, it seems like they're trying to shift it over more towards xenomorphs and the blooding ritual as seen like the most common thing because it's it's just more iconic. I don't know if we've ever like if you look up the Quetzal Ridge, there isn't even like a bunch of like pictures in anything of it. I don't even know if it's like been in comics or anything, to be honest. Like I'm not exactly sure where that comes from, but I have like seen it mentioned multiple times. So like I know it's a thing that used to be true, but I think it's just like over time they shift to the thing that people know. Like Alien versus Predator is centered around a blooding ritual. That's what right. that whole movie is. So, like, that's what people are familiar with, and they're like, oh, we could have this whole second thing of this is how they do it, too, and someone must have just went, hey, man, let's just, let's just have them kill xenomorphs. It's a lot easier. We don't have to explain a whole new fucking thing to everyone to keep them on board with what's happening. So I think that's really where that came from a lot, but that is very much just my personal take and personal understanding of it. So all of my questions about the Quetzal Ridge are just uh, going to fall on, you know, uh, informationless uh, grounds of, like, do they have a culture? Do they have a society? Are they just, like, a, you know, like the equivalent of, like, a predator that's, like, unintelligent but very good at, like, killing things? Is this stuff um... known? Well, I can't answer the last part of that. They are certainly just an apex predator okay. on Yachua Prime. As for, like, what kind of... they Like, they are not an intelligent species. They are a creature. Okay, so, like, under, not a civilization. Sure. No, no, no. They are not a civilization. They are certainly just a thing that they hunt. As for their, like, how they operate outside of that, yeah, that's going to fall on deaf ears. Trust me. I tried to look for a bunch of information and just couldn't find anything. I was similarly disappointed. Okay. So, the next one is the blooding ritual, as I have been mentioning. This is, again, performed by a group of, like, three to five young blood Yauchua. And it is, this is not only for some degree of safety that they do this, but it is also to promote teamwork in, like, the interweaving of skills between new hunters. Will you, on average, hunt alone? Yes, but, like, that doesn't mean that the teamwork, you won't always be hunting alone. You will sometimes have other Yauchua with you to perform a hunt and being able to work together to fell larger and more dangerous prey is obviously very important in a hunter society. So this blooding ritual is to be executed at a pre-established location. As we can see in the first Alien vs. Predator movie, there's, there's a whole thing of like how they tie into Earth in like a bunch of stuff, and I just didn't feel like going into that, to be perfectly honest with you. Wait, are you saying 
that the Yautua built the pyramids? Unironically, yeah, I'm pretty sure they did. Oh and my within, god, I did like, not see this on Windigoon's Conspiracy Theory Iceberg nine-hour video. No? No. Damn. I'd say, because that is the, like, flashback in Alien vs. Predator of them, like, being viewed as, like, gods to oh. humans in, like... That's funny. Probably helping them build that. But so there's like a whole thing of like how they tie into Earth. I just didn't feel like going into that. That's like that feels like a whole separate thing that didn't feel as important as the rest of the stuff that I wanted to talk about. Um, But I'm here to talk about all the stuff that you don't think is important. Hey, write it up. We'll do a second episode. I'll talk about Predator all fucking day, dude. Don't you worry. I'll keep going. There's still more in this episode. (laughs) Um, so many of these ritual pyramids, as you said, a lot of them are in pyramids, um, were built by either people on earth or the predators. Like I said, with whatever the fuck they did there, I don't feel like going into it. These hunts are also overseen by an elder or high ranking clan member. And those are the ones that will lure the prey into the hunting ground. These are the ones that will be infected by the xenomorphs. They have like a whole ritual chamber where they'll put them down and just unleash some face huggers on them to impregnate them with a xenomorph and then that will be what the young bloods hunt these pyramids were built to have rooms and walls that shift and close off and change the layout so one couldn't prep themselves with knowing where things are and knowing how to escape and get the jump on things. They have to be able to really use their skills and implement what they know to get their kills now. So the goal of this hunt is simply to kill one xenomorph. That is all you have to do to prove your skill as a hunter and become blooded, which again kind of ties into the killing one xenomorph drone versus killing the apex predator of your planet like there's a bit of a discrepancy there of like which one is necessary to be considered an adult you know like that's a bit of a huge difference um once a kill is performed the hunter will either themselves or have another member of the hunt perform the actual act of the blooding. We again see this in the Alien vs. Predator movie, where you take the acidic blood of a xenomorph and burn a mark both into the mask and the forehead of the Yautua. This mark seems to be denoted by clan. It doesn't seem like there's like one certain one that all of them use, but that is what is done. That is the thing that is considered the blooding is when you mark yourself truly as the hunter. You have gotten your first kill. You did it. You did the thing. This is mostly performed with like the minimal amount of gear possible, like the most low tech things in general, which contrasts Alien versus Predator a little bit because. The first thing that they find uh, is they are given their plasma casters, which I think is just for the movie to show off cool high-tech stuff, to be honest. Gotcha. Which, like, you know, makes sense. I'm not going to fault them for that. If you're watching a Predator movie, you want to see, like, literally the thing that they're fucking known for. Makes sense. But in general, that is not how it is commonly used. In that is... um, that's all of that. Those are the two rituals that they go through. Um, 
unless you have anything to add on that, I'm going to jump into their technology a little bit and the things that they use on their hunts. I'm trying to to tie this back to gaming, but uh, it, that one's I pretty mean, tough. That one's just completing your placement games. What are you talking about? Uh, yeah, true. That's just that's yeah. just placements. It's getting ranked. Yeah, yeah, you're getting ranked. You can't go on the leaderboards before you do your placement games. That's that's the easiest tie-in in my mind. Uh, so going on to their technology, the first one that I'll talk about, kind of, I have this broken up into like certain subsections of things. So the first one I'll talk about is like their general tech, just like the things that we see on them. The first one, of course, being the bio helmet. This is like the iconic look of a Yauchua, that there are many variations in this, and they are normally like created by the Yauchua themselves. So they have their own like take and style on what this helmet should look like. If you just look up pictures, you'll see tons and tons of different variations. Like it can be from different creatures. They normally have like some kind of very advanced metal that it's the base of it, but different things that you can use there. Uh, these include a breathing apparatus for different environments. They do breathe our standard atmosphere as well, but it's a little bit more difficult for them. So they have a breathing apparatus to help them with that. Uh, this links, the mask itself links to their wrist gauntlet to show various forms of information to help them on a hunt. This includes firstly, different vision modes, which uh, allows them to scan through like various thermal and electromagnetic spectrums of light so they can always see what they need to see on a hunt. They're never gonna be like deterred if everything is just incredibly hot and then they can't see anything. As I said, like the bio helmet has ways to uh, temper out like background heat so they right, can focus yeah. on the thing that they want. Next, it has a language translator which uh, that does what it says on the tin. There's not much I can add to that. It translates language into theirs. <laughs> Pretty standard stuff there. Um, and the kind of cooler one that they can use with that is the vocal mimicry that we hear. Um, this allows a Yauchua to hear and recreate sounds and voices that it has heard previously. This is used like not only in the movies and stuff, but there's actually like one very cool callback within from a comic line to... Predator 2 that is very interesting. I'll talk about that one a little bit as well because that one involves pirates and I know you'll like that. Oh, shit. Mm-hmm. Next is the wrist gauntlet that we see. Now, this is what I just compared to the Pip-Boy of the Yauchua. Um, it has This has all of the various systems that they have available to them. Their vision modes in the biomask, their cloaking, their hologram communications, things like that. It also has an EMP device in there. There's some form of like handcuffs that can be detached from it that would be used to restrain, I assume, only bad bloods. I don't know what they'd be using handcuffs for otherwise, but it is specified in there. Um, it has a form of SATCOMs. It has their classic self-destruct device. And it actually has like a small shield generator and like highly advanced computer that they can use as well. This is often used to like call their transport ships and things like that most of the time. Gotcha. Uh, next, in what I just considered utility, uh, they have, like, kind of a medical kit on them. This has, like, a very heavy solvent for both cauterizing and healing and, like, closing their wounds. 
as well, it has tracking and dissolving liquids, so they can track something, obviously, with that word. And then, like, should they leave something behind, or, like, after a kill, say they killed a xenomorph in New York. They don't want the xenomorph to be found, so they have a dissolving liquid that will completely eliminate any trace of that. Next in their utility kit, they have things for taking their trophies. They have, of course, standard, like, flaying tools and, like, skinning tools, as well as one ceremonial dagger that they carry, which is normally used for specifically taking the trophy of the hunt, but can, of course, it's still a dagger. It can be used in combat as well as, like, a very last resort of last resorts type of thing. That's not what it's meant to be used for. And finally, in the utility, they got a grappling hook because... As we all know, grappling hooks are cool. Yeah, you should just have a grappling hook. Every game, start giving me grappling hooks. Just just do it. I want it. Make it better. What about a wire fly? I was going to say, yeah, we've been playing a lot of Monster Hunter Rise, and, like, it's not a grappling hook, but it's almost there, so, like, it's close enough. I'll take it. Any traversal mechanics in Monster Hunter is a plus, always, no matter what. Uh, Next, I'll move into their armor. This is, as I kind of said with the mask, highly varied based on the personal preference of the particular hunter. So if one often hunts in a colder environment, then they're going to have a set of armor that allows them to survive longer there. On top of the normal like thermal netting that they have to control their just internal body temperature, they might have like an actual full set of armor that like completely covers them and is resistant to elements or... If they're only really hunting xenomorphs, they're going to have a plating that is resistant to the acidic effects of xenomorph blood, because that just makes sense. If you know what you're going to be hunting, and you're a hunting culture, you tailor what you have to what you're going to hunt. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So that's, like, very different among different Yauchua, but they have just a whole repertoire of different things that they can use, obviously, throughout all of this to get whatever they need for a specific hunt. Finally, for their equipment, I'm gonna dive a little bit into the different weapons that they all use. Now, this is the meat, what I would consider to be the meat of what defines a Yauchua, both not only in their society and in our concepts of them, but just like how they all act. This is what's gonna show how you will be hunted, which is, of course, incredibly important for a hunting culture. They are highly advanced, as I've been saying, and it shows in their weaponry. Now, even though a lot of it has, like, what I would call a primitive look, like, it's a lot of, like, spears, chakrams, things like that, the construction and how they operate is what very much proves the opposite of this. You can see, like, Their spear is a combi stick, which is like this crazy extending spear. So it's not just like a normal spear that we would consider. Everything is like, I mean, realistically, the answer is everything is based in our reality, but it's an advanced version of all of it, you know? Yeah, yeah. They didn't like create a bunch of like crazy weapons for them. They're like all based in our world, I would say. Sure. So it's like uh, they're made of uh, vibranium. Exactly. Right. Yeah, that that kind of an effect, exactly. So, obviously, being a very proud hunter-warrior race, they have a lot more weapons than what I am going to be covering. 
I cut out like a bunch of them even just in the wiki and I'm sure they have way more than what's in the wiki realistically if we're thinking about this as its own entity but these are just like the really big important ones that we see commonly and a couple of them that I just think are really cool um, so it's going to be a little more bare bones a little bit in that so we'll start off with the melee weapons and specifically their bladed weapons uh, they have of course the wrist blades that is what i would say is one of the most iconic ones they got those big two massive jagged daggers that go just over the fist i feel like that's like one of the big iconic weapons of the predator yeah like we see that a lot they have as i mentioned the ceremonial dagger that is pretty much used as like a last resort but it's always there you always have your dagger on you they also have a an axe which we've only seen like twice in like a couple movies i believe i think in predators is when they had it so this could be obviously used as a weapon it's just an axe but my guess is that it's probably more used as like a utility item and then used as a weapon if necessary Next, uh, they got a couple pole arms. The, the first one that I've already mentioned a couple times is the combi stick. This is their retractable spear that's like probably foot and a half in length when it's contracted and then probably like four to five feet when it's longer. It's like very thin and just has like a couple sets of like points on it. It's specific parts of it that another one of like their very common ones we've seen a couple yauchua that actually have it like dual lightsabers where you break it in half and then you have two separate things and it's also uh known as a very powerful throwing weapon that they can utilize as well the other one in the last melee weapon that i'll cover i'd like I'd like to be saying more, but there's only so much you can say about a melee weapon. Or about right. weapons in general. You just kind of describe what they are. Uh, they have this fucking sick glaive that's a double-bladed glaive at both ends. It kind of reminds me a little bit... I guess incorrectly, it reminds me a little bit of, like, the the Batleth from Star Trek, if you recognize that reference. <laughs> no. Um, it's a little less fucking ostentatious and ridiculous is the batleth but like it kind of fulfills that same vein but like this looks like a weapon that one could actually fucking use yeah but yeah it's just like a pointy double-bladed glaive it's cool though all, all of their weapons just look fucking sick they're just cool um next i'll move on to the ranged weapons and they got a couple v interesting ones in here uh, starting with their throne weapons, they have Electroshock Bolas, which is, as you would expect, obviously, a set of bolas, which are like the two rocks connected to a, on a string that you would use to subdue your foe, your prey. Yeah, it's like... You just, like, tie them up. It's like two weights, and then something that binds them together, and then you throw them mm -hmm. through the air, like, horizontally, yeah. right? Yeah, so it would so like that catch they the tangle, legs yeah. and bind them together. Yeah, the difference with the Yauchuas is that the electricity is so strong that pretty much it just kills things instead of restraining them. Nice. I'm pretty sick, right? Yeah. I like it. I'm, I'm here for it. Like, <laughs> it's 100% diametrically opposed to what a bola actually is. 
But, like, also, it's so fucking sick that I just don't care. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, the next one is the Smart Disc, which is, like, a double-bladed fist weapon that's uh like a chakram like a very small chakram that would like fit over your fists and when it's thrown it is actually self-guiding so it'll just like home into whatever it's going towards uh but also of course it could be used just like a fist weapon like just a brass knuckles basically with blades on both sides it's like a punch and dagger yeah kind of um the next one or the last thrown weapon is the shuriken which is i think probably the most gnarly of any of their weapons and it looks sick as hell i will this one oh god there's an old sci-fi movie that i can't think of what it is that it really reminds me of a lot uh here's a picture oh, of this one. god no i just google searched it holy fuck yeah that's fucking sick isn't it like yeah. that's a that's a weapon and a half. It's, again, like a circular fist mount that has like seven or eight curved blades that extend out of it that just rip through absolutely everything. It's a very interesting one. And I, that's like their most like brutalist looking weapon, I would say. Moving into their standard projectile weapons i only have two of them here i i guess i'll just say they're projectile weapons because there's one energy weapon that i covered they have a variety of them but i just have the one they have the spear gun which um similarly to the are oh what did i have that for the oh similar similar to language the trans <laughs> yeah language translator the spear gun does what it says on the tip it is a gun that shoots spear that's what I got for you on that one. It's still cool, but and it's uh, handheld as well. It's not like a rifle or anything. Okay. So I guess that would be like the differentiating factor on that. But spear gun, do what it say. The next one is the net gun, which is again a handheld device that fires a net with force high enough to like pin a target to a wall, and it then is fit to constrict the prey. So much not to disable it from moving, but to cause heavy injuries and slowly slicing through them as it does so. And as I was doing my research for this, um, I realized that this weapon is the one from Alien vs. Predator that gave me the absolute most nightmares as a child. Probably on par with like my level of fear of elevators that I got from the first Resident Evil movie. <laughs> but like, I don't really have to worry about net guns in the real world so it didn't have the same impact on me that elevators did for years of my life but uh it's it's up there it's really fucking terrifying to me still that you would because it's not like a net made of like razor blades or anything it's just a net that through constricting just cuts you the fuck apart i mean it's probably it. made of like metallic wires rather than like braided rope Yes, certainly, but it's not like inherently sharp. Right. It's not. Yeah. It's not made for cutting. It just does cut. Like how a garrote, when you are strangling someone with it, would like break skin. It's like that. Ex yes, correct. Okay. Exactly like that. Mm -hmm. And the last weapon that I have for them is the plasma caster. This is 
as the wrist blades are for melee, the plasma caster is for a projectile. This is their shoulder-mounted, like, auto-guiding gun that shoots just this large ball of plasma energy that just absolutely fucking shreds things. This is the first what I believe it's the first weapon that we see in the first Predator movie where it just blows a hole clean through the guy's fucking chest. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think that's the first time we see them use anything, and it's absolutely fucking devastating. This, as I said, is the uh, controlled through the biomask and gives us that, like, three-dot pattern that we associate with the Predator, and I listed it as this is the last thing you see before you die. Similarly to, like, a sniper where you see the little red dot come up, you see three of them, and then you don't see anything after that. So that is... Overall, the what I deemed, at least, as the important weaponry that they have. Um, I, I, you got anything? You got your gamer analogy to add on to that? Uh, I mean, they're weapons, right? And those are in a lot of the games that we play. Yeah, exactly. There's, there's not too much on there, realistically. But they're cool. I really like the Predator aesthetic. That's what, like, really got me into it at first, is, like seeing everything that they have and how it all works was like really interesting and then i was like what are they how much actual lore do they have because they have like a number of movies and comics i've actually read a couple of the comics now they're really good and their initial aesthetic is what like really brought me into it which is the same for like most of the things that i've gotten really into yeah and i think the aesthetic carries over to other media really well um, mm-hmm. For example, in League of Legends, there's a headhunter skin line where it's like all of the champions are reworked so that they have the dreads and particularly gruesome looking uh, versions of their weapons. Like um, Master Yi is a guy that uses a sword, but in his headhunter line, he uses basically a uh, single bladed version of the glaive with like the uh, serration is not the correct term that i would use but like these gruesome hooks that just cause like uh increased tearing and stuff like that so yeah it's i feel like it's definitely influenced a lot of things and then i mean like i mean especially with headhunter or something yeah Yeah, you go back to call of duty and it's like that's like the reticle that you could put into your gun and stuff like that you know it's Mm -hmm. like for the plasma caster is what i'm talking the three dots um yep super recognizable the uh, aesthetic and like the weaponry of, exactly of, uh, yeah of a predator so and with that i will move on to basically what is my last section of just some notable yauchua as i said this isn't like there isn't like books of lore of like talking about how they work is like a society and everything we're getting this through specific stories of certain predators that are just then extrapolated to like create this narrative that we have around them so the first one i'm going to talk about is dashande he is a yauchua clan leader and is known as the first one to kill a xenomorph unarmed and unarmored which was obviously a pretty high honor for them normally they have at least something and he was able to just take it down on his own his story uh, starts on a planet called Ryushi, where he was to lead a group of unblooded on their first hunt against xenomorphs. 
Ryushi ended up being a planet that was also being researched by the Weyland Yutani Corporation, who is the human interest without or throughout the uh, Ridley Scott universe. They are the they're big bad sci-fi tech group. That's all you need to know for this because sure. I don't have a bunch on them. That that's that it complete that statement completely encapsulates them and tells you everything you need to know about them. So there was a research colony on there, and there was actually a much worse xenomorph outbreak than they thought was going to be for just the blooding ritual. Deshande was accidentally injured by a human doctor who was studying things and just fucking hit him with a car and knocked him unconscious. <laughs> Which, hilarious. So fucking funny to me. That's what happened there. And Peak they hunter. brought. Exactly. Uh, and they then brought Deshande back to study him and actually revive him after his injury. They didn't want him to die. Like I said, it was an accident. So they were going to bring him back to life and fix him as much as they could. However, one of the unblooded, who was Tishande, great naming GW, love it. I love to see names that are exactly the fucking same. Um, he just assumed control over this hunt and basically imposed himself as the leader now. Uh, he went to go get revenge and free Deshande and ended up killing a lot of humans. Uh, the two, like, kind of last straws for Deshande when he found out is he killed an unarmed woman and he had a pile of skull trophies, of which one of them, Deshande realized, was the skull of a child among them. Which both of those two things, as I said in the Code of Honor, big no-go. You don't do those two things very specifically. You don't kill unarmed people and you don't kill children. And he did both of them just on his own. So, Tashande and Dushande got into a very big fight in which Dushande wiped the fucking floor with him and absolutely fucking killed him. Which, even though in the Code of Honor, of course, you don't kill another uh, Yautra, he's one that had broken the code, so it was fine. He went on with a human, uh, who I mentioned briefly before, Machiko Noguchi. Um, those two went through and cleared out the xenomorph outbreak or did a lot to stop it they didn't completely clear it out uh but she went through and helped him throughout all of this and at the end they were fighting a xenomorph queen and deshande was killed or mortally injured during this but machiko was able to help him and by the time that i believe some other predators came to help or he just let no some other predators did come to help and actually put a full stop to it and then they ended up blowing up the whole fucking place but before that happened before Deshande died he actually blooded Machiko as a full hunter which she then went on to like engage in Yauchua society and was like treated as pretty much a full hunter not entirely but there like there were some issues that came up as you would expect but she's like my 
honorable mention to notable Yauchua because she is one of the few people, one of the few humans known as a fully blooded Yauchua that was given basically the same level of respect because she fought so well and so bravely throughout all of this. Which, like, that's just also just a very cool story of, like, showing their respect of, like, hey, you're a skilled enough hunter. You're one of us. You did it. You did the fucking thing. Which is just very interesting to me. The next one that we will talk about is Scar. There isn't a ton to say about him, necessarily. He is the main predator that we see in Alien vs. Predator. It was him and two others that uh, went in to do their blooding ritual. But he, in and of his own right, is not the most important since he was just a young blood waiting to become a full adult. But it's what happened afterwards that was more impactful for a lot of things. Um, in the movie, we see him after he performs his blooding ritual. He gets attacked by a face hugger. And he lives afterwards. But it turns out that he was still impregnated by the xenomorph. And he ends up giving life to uh, what is known as a pred-alien. Which is an alien that took its host in a Yauchua. And they have both of the traits of them and they are incredibly strong they are like much more alien than they are predator but they have like the strength they have the dreadlocks of the predator but they are overall just a xenomorph realistically okay and the reason that i put him on here still is because the pred alien that he gave life to is actually like the main driving plot of the next movie avp requiem which that was I believe the next one I have to talk about, Wolf, that might be incorrect, but I don't think it is. Wolf was a Yauchua that was er, specialized in removing traces of other Yauchua and, like, keeping themselves secret. So he was sent to deal with the Pred Alien and, like, continue to make sure that nobody knew about that and everything was wiped clean of that. The city that they were in, I believe in Colorado, was just bombed by the U.S. government because there was a xenomorph outbreak there. So, like, he kind of did his job. He did kill the Pred Alien, but, like, he then died afterwards. Most of, That is a pretty common trend. Most of the Predators do not live throughout their fucking comic line. That's just, like, your pretty standard go-to. They end up dying at the end most of the time. Okay. The next one I want to talk about is Ahab. And I'll only kind of briefly talk about him due to the nature of his hunt. His goal throughout his line of comics was to find and kill an engineer. And the fact of it being an engineer that he was looking to kill is why I'm going to kind of limit talking about this. Because as I said, we're not really going to go into the full Ridley Scott universe. Because that's what an engineer is like the... The engineers are your created all the life in the universe race in the Ridley Scott universe. Your forerunners in Halo. Yeah, your, okay. Like your old ones in Warhammer 40k. That's what the engineers were. So his goal was to find and kill one of these. And 
The reason that I did want to bring him up is because the whole thing is just an allegory for Moby Dick. He's named Ahab. The engineers are these hulking white humanoids. So, like, it's literally just a Moby Dick reference, gotcha. basically, which I think is very fun. Yeah. Um, next is Kale, who I won't go into too much, but because we already talked about him, but he is, as I said, the predator that is a hish originally, and he is the one that gave way to the, like, common lineage and culture that we know today is the Yauchua. So... I, I just wanted to mention him here again. He's obviously very important throughout all of this. And the last one is simply known as the Jungle Hunter. This is the OG predator that we see in the Arnold Schwarzenegger film. Um, there isn't really a ton to say about the Jungle Hunter in and of itself, as this was just the first movie. This was, be I believe, before there were even, like, comics or anything this was just like a fun sci-fi movie and that kind of like gave way to all of this and on top of that while the jungle hunter itself isn't the most impactful other than like kind of introducing everyone to predator arnold's character dutch is massively important and very relevant throughout the entire world of predator he goes on to like hunt and study these this race and uh, one of his brother is a very important character in one of the lines of comics that i've actually read so like even though that particular yauchua itself wasn't the most impactful um that movie on whole was very impactful to how everything went down afterwards the next things and some of the final things that i'll talk about are the two things that I've already mentioned to you. This would be the pirate and Batman in, in the Yauchua lore. Um, let me find the pirate's name. I've got a fun crossover that I bet you're not going to mention. Oh, I'm, I'm interested in that. What, what do you got? Um, so there's this game that is uh, a Tom Clancy game called Ghost Recon Wildlands. And uh, there mm -hmm. was a free... DLC mission that was added uh, where you just fight a predator and uh, it's kind of like that's actually that that's it it's kind of like an open world boss you just like enter into this forest and then it gets like all dark and misty and gloomy and you just get your fucking teeth kicked in over and over and over again until you can find a way to cheese it um, that almost makes me want to play wild Wings. no don't I don't don't I, do I don't it. but like almost I'll watch a video on it okay that's what I would do. That's probably what that's, I would do. That sounds very. That sounds very interesting. I like that. I cert. I certainly wouldn't do uh, anything with Wildlands. Uh, that's what I've heard. It was yeah. just. It was such a cool concept, and then the way that they executed the open world, uh, like taking down a drug cartel, but mm -hmm. also locking all of the weapons that you want to use behind killing like random bosses was uh was kind of lame oh yeah that doesn't sound like the best for sure that's a shame, but the stealth mechanics were cool. amazing and like the squad mechanics too you controlled your own squad of As, isn't that kind of true of all tom clancy games yeah. of like none of them are perfect but they normally like absolutely nail one aspect of it i i would say yes um 
I think Ghost Recon Future Future Soldier was very good. Um, mm-hmm. It had great storyline, and it was also very like it was good squad mechanics too like you can control your squad and they weren't like fucking useless bots that just like peppered the cover that a guy was standing behind in full view um yeah that it was yeah anyways we don't need to talk about tom clancy games right now but for sure uh so the the first one that i'll talk about here with my crossovers is a pirate known as Raphael Aldolini, Ad- Adelini, Raphael Adelini. He was a French pirate captain in 1718, and they were going to bury some treasure after a recent raid on a monastery, and he realized that his crew had taken a lot of their, like, holy relics. I can't remember the exact word, but, like, specific holy relics that he went, hey, no, we're still Christian, we're not taking these, we're giving them back. We're not doing this. And his whole crew mutinied him, believe it or not, for saying that. (laughs) Um, And it turned out that they were all being hunted by a Yautua at the time, and specifically Adelini. However, seeing him fighting off he completely killed the like four or five members of his crew that he was like actively burying it with he completely destroyed them and earned the respect of the yautua and as more of his crew came to kill him he actually fought hand in hand with the yautua as they held hands as they fought that's crazy i know it was very impressive very impressive and they Killed most of the rest of his crew, but as one of the members was running, he shot Adelini in the back, which is, believe it or not, pretty dishonorable to the Predator. And he ended up dying, but he gave the Predator his flintlock pistol, saying simply, take it. And the Predator is presumed to have gone on to absolutely massacre and shipwreck his ship afterwards for this and it was even shown to bury adelini with the gold that they had recovered as his sign of respect obviously he doesn't get the religious significance of returning it to the fucking church yeah sure sure but so that's a very interesting one of like having a crossover with that and that when i said the uh sound mimicry the vocal mimicry in Predator 2, they a couple people go on to a Predator ship, and it's the first time that we see multiple Predators on screen at the same time. Mm-hmm. And he actually gives him Adelini's flintlock as the same sign of respect given to him when he was given the pistol. Oh, that's cool. Which, like, yeah, I'd say that's just like a kind of a cool little extra thing to throw in there. That's an... Not one of a specific fight with the Predator or against the Predator, but just, like, a very interesting interaction. I like when it shows that, the same with, like, Machiko Noguchi, where it really shows that they're not just a race of fucking hunters. They have a very defined 
respect and honor system and like if you prove yourself you are worthy and they're not just gonna like fucking take you down and like seeing like a kind of more human aspect of them i think is very interesting and very cool i thought you were gonna say because you mentioned the mimic cry thing i thought you were just gonna say he said something like you know like a vast yardies or something like that to the I, as a hailing to the other predators that, that would have been so much better and i wish they did holy fuck could but you imagine the whiplash no. if a partner just started talking like a pirate for like one fucking oh sentence God. of the movie and it's just not addressed it would have been at incredible. all yeah they just don't talk about it at yeah. all i mean i that is still pretty much the whiplash that was experienced in <laughs> predator 2 when they're just like here's a flintlock from 1718 and the guy's just like what the fuck what? like okay thanks what the fuck is this but that was like their thing of like oh these guys have been around and doing shit on earth since 1718 right. in this movie took place in modern day type of thing of just like showing how long lived they were but i assume that was the tone for most of the people in the theater that saw it that had no clue about anything to do with the fucking <laughs> comics they're just like why is he giving them this random flintlock from some french dude what is happening so the last one I'll talk about before I do... Talk to me about li- Batman. Just a, yeah, I, and then I'll do just a little small thing of how Ridley Scott's things tie into all of this. And then maybe at some point I'll do more on that, but we'll we'll see about that because it's a little murky. So one night in Gotham, there were two mob bosses brawling it out, or, well, settling a feud by hiring professional boxers. They weren't actually fucking doing it. I don't know how well you know just random things or if these are, like, bigger characters within Batman, but it was Alex Yeager and Leo Broden were the two mob bosses that were doing stuff. They don't bring any huge bells to me, but... I, I assume they're not, like, incredibly influential. They're probably just, like, for this comic line. It was three comics that this took place over. Um, all through this, there was a big boxing match and the winner of this drew the curiosity of the predator. He saw a big boy winning a big fight and went, Ooh, that's a fun hunt, isn't it? And fucked up everyone there. Absolutely everyone there. Um, hearing that. Mr. Our good friend, Mr. Bruce Wayne, uh, got into the Batman getup and got into the scene of the crime with Commissioner Gordon and looked at all the bodies and went, huh, this, I would assume, to be a revenge hit of uh, somebody, of the other mob boss. But then he went to that mob boss's gym and realized again that everyone was dead. And skinned very precisely and like flayed and trophies had been taken and he went, hmm, that doesn't feel right. This is fucked up even for mobsters. <laughs> I don't like this. Very strange. Um, there was one person still alive that he had talked to uh, and he even said, or does it, wait, did I just say he was... A blind, of course, it was an elderly blind boxing trainer. So, someone that couldn't fucking see anything. Right. But, uh, apparently the creature approached him and mimicked 
open season in Batman's voice, which I assume had been heard in the last scene where the Predator, it was revealed, was watching him in the first scene when he was talking with Commissioner Gordon. Um, This led throughout uh, a couple of very brutal fights with the Predator after Batman realized, being the good detective that he is, that this is not just some psychopath going around and killing. It is following some code of honor and only picking off targets that it deemed worthy. The winner of a prize fight. A room full of, like, very well-trained boxers and things like that. Like, that's... Clearly, this wasn't just some guy. This was something very different. Um, He attempts to ambush the Predator and just gets just gets fucking bodied he does not do well as one would expect he ends up calling in the batmobile and just smacking the predator off of him to get away after that and uh kind of go lick his wounds and figure out what the fuck is going on because like he, he wasn't gonna do that on his own the whole time he's keeping robin away from this as well because he realizes this isn't just the the cavalcade of villains what is it what is his uh group of villains called it's something specific that i can't think of oh fuck um um it's not cavalcade i know that the rogues gallery is that what it is for batman uh yeah rogues gallery yeah yeah he realizes that this is not part of like the rogues gallery that he commonly deals with and is like yeah you stay the fuck off of this and he more or less listens uh still tries to get involved and do some research on his own and eventually as he's doing things the what i'm looking at doesn't it seems like it doesn't cover that but this was in a video that i watched he eventually hears one of the predators mimic Oh, I don't know which Robin it was. Mimic Robin's voice, because I can't think of which one it was at the time. And realizes that, in fact, both of them are being hunted at the same time. Not just Batman. This is clearly they are going after both of them. Oh. He eventually doesn't recover fully from his wounds. But he created a specialized suit that he thought would help him get through this and uh he gets in a very very brutal melee with the predator and rams him again with the bumper of the batmobile into wayne banner and they end up fighting in the bat cave and then alfred comes in and blasts it with a fucking shotgun (laughs) to turn the tide Amazing. That's what, it's so good. Alfred's coming in fucking clutch. Um, then Bruce Wayne comes in with a baseball bat that uh, he apparently had over the mantelpiece in the bat cave, which, uh, okay, okay, sure. <laughs> Maybe it's outside. I can't really tell from the article I'm looking at, but, you know, whatever. Um, and he takes out the Predator, finally. After that, a mothership of the Predators arrives with a whole clan of them emerging. And they real they 
He lost in his hunt, and the defeated predator commits ritual suicide by stabbing itself, as is their way. And before they leave, they present the blade that he killed himself with to Bruce as a trophy for defeating one of their own. And from there, uh, he Alfred asks if they were if they will return, and he's pretty sure that they won't. But who knows? Maybe they'll come back. This is clearly a very advanced predator, a very advanced prey for them to hunt. Oh, and that's uh, that's, Batman that's the Batman issues. Predator. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it's a, it's a three comic line. I unfortunately don't have it, and I would very much like to read it now at some point. I need to find them somewhere. But yeah, th- those are my two kind of crossovers with that, or one of them I suppose isn't a crossover, but just two of my fun stories, because um, that's what I changed at the end of this script. I was originally going to have like a bunch of hunts and crossovers, and I was like, if that's what all of this is based off of, we could just be here forever for hours talking about this like that's the, that's what this universe is it's just hunts and so i just wanted to hit a couple cool ones that i thought were specifically rather interesting and the last thing i'll talk about a little bit if we like this and we talk more about it in a future episode i might get a little deeper into it but i want to talk just a little bit from how i understand of how the how the timelines go together with uh, the rest of the Ridley Scott universe. So I, unfortunately, still haven't seen Prometheus, but that is the movie that kind of makes it so Alien and Predator can't be in the same universe anymore. There's a character in there that is a human that finds remnants of... They all find remnants of the engineers, who, as I said, are like the creators of life yeah, the throughout the universe. Yeah. yeah. Um, they find that, and he finds, like, some very precursory and preliminary DNA of xenomorphs. And he, in, I think in, like, the 70s or something. So, like, way later, basically, he creates xenomorphs at a point in time that does not connect. It completely eliminates the possibility that predators and xenomorphs could have an overlapping universe. It just like, because as I've said, that's been their history. Their history has always been, they kill xenomorphs to do their thing. And I mean, even like specifically with the other movies, I believe it no longer ties in correctly. So that's unfortunate, but he even stated like, yeah, that was never my original intent to have them all tie together. And he, I believe he even said that the Alien vs. Predator movies were like a mistake and they shouldn't have done that <laughs> as well, which is kind of a shame. But that, that's why I didn't like really want to tie. At first I was planning on like talking about it a little bit more, but like it doesn't seem like they really work in tandem anymore based on how the trajectory of his movies is starting to be handled. So that's kind of a shame that we might not be seeing much more of it unless they just do it in, like, comics and stuff. Uh, Dark Horse is the company that has done most of the... The very least, most of the recent 
Predator comics, and I believe most of the earlier ones as well. That makes sense. They handle a lot of the um, the IPs that are not comic originals that are then made into yeah. either comics or um, graphic novels. Mm-hmm. I was looking to see if I could find um, like a like a comic strip from the Batman versus Predator that has Robin in it because. I think I might be able to tell which one it is if I can see it, but True. I can't find one that um, has Robin in it. I guess it's a Batman versus Predator two comic book. It's a, it might not be in the first one, yeah. Well, no, the first one seems oh. to be the here. Did you find one? Oh, it's the original one. That's Dick Grayson, right? It's the original suit, at least. Uh, it looks like it's from yeah, yeah. Three, It looks like it's from Blood Ties. Yeah, that's Dick Grayson. Yeah. Later to become Nightwing. Yep, that's the. Uh, you can tell because he he's using fighting a predator. like uh, commie sticks. Yep. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's that's what I've got for uh, Predator lore. I hope you've enjoyed learning about it as much as I've liked talking about it and learning about it in my own right. Yeah, I mean, if you ever asked me if I like Predator, I would say yes. But uh, if you asked me to go into any more detail about what I like about it, I'd just be like, I don't know, man. They're pretty cool looking. <laughs> They're fucking cool, though. <laughs> they got cool guns and shit. Three red exactly. dots. But yeah, this is pretty cool. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's like kind of what I thought that they were as well. Like I for until I started watching more videos on them, I didn't realize that they had more lore than hey, they look pretty cool and got cool weapons and guns. I thought that's pretty much where it stopped. But apparently it isn't, and there's a lot more to dive into. And if and if people like it, maybe I'll talk about some of the some more hunts and stuff. There's certainly many more characters to dive into. I could do a whole nother thing on the like life and trials of Machiko Noguchi. She has a bunch of different stuff of like hunting with predators as a human that I thought was very cool, but just figured we might not quite have time for in this one, as we're already running log on this episode. Just a little bit. But yeah, uh, for now, uh, I've been Ian. Uh, I'm always Tyler. And this has been the Bad Tutors Podcast. Uh, We hope you enjoy it, and have a great rest of your day, week, weekend, whenever you're listening to this, and I hope you listen in to the next one. Wilson, any closing statements? No. Am I missing any closing statements? No, I don't think so. No, Wilson. He he uh, is. Oh, Wilson. Oh, true. Wilson, you got anything for us? Anything at all? Huh? Rough. Woof. Maybe some heavy breathing. I think. I think he's just um, really trying to process everything that I. Yeah, true, true. He's just. There's there's a lot to de to unpack. He's just floored. He can't separate reality (laughs) from fiction. Oh. What? What did you have to say? Oh, thank you. There you go. We got a little something out of him. He's very passionate about Predator, it seems. Well, that's good to hear. I'm glad that he's a fan now. Alright. But with that, we will sign off. Hope you catch the next episode. Next one's about cat girls.